Likutei Sichais, Chelik Chav, Volume 20, the first Sicha for Parshas Miketz. This Sicha is based on what Rashi says, what he explains, on Pasuk Nun in Perik Memalef, that's verse 50 in chapter 41 in our Parsha. This isn't, quote-unquote, a typical Rashi Sicha. Rather, the Sicha will explain very creatively and beautifully uh, and back up what Rashi explains and his conclusion on the words in this Pasuk. Just as a quick introduction, some of the rules in Rashi which we're well familiar with. First of all, Rashi wrote his Pirush in such a manner that even a quote, Ben Mikra, can easily understand it. In other words, it's with full and absolute clarity. Number two, every word in Rashi, every expression is precise and exact and brings out a point. And another thing that a third thing is that sometimes Rashi will explain something according to Pshuti Shalmikra, even though it's not necessarily consistent with the way the Medrash explains it, the way the Gemara explains it, or other sources. Something to familiarize ourselves with, the concept, the idea of Midas Chasidus. Midas Chasidus means that there are certain things that are not obligatory. In other words, halacha does not mandate that you must do it. However, anybody that's a from Jew or beyond or above that, meaning somebody who behaves in a manner of midas chasidus, certainly would adhere to it. Another thing to familiarize ourselves with, the idea of chazaka. Chazaka means that according to halacha, when something happens several times or it happens over a certain period of time, it becomes like an established pattern and that makes it as if it's an established fact. Let's go into the Sikha. On the Pasuk, like I said, chapter 41, verse 50, it says, That to Yosef was born two sons before the, the year of the famine came. So Rashi says, quote, Mikan, from here, from here, meaning from this, we learn. From here, this is our source. That a person is not is forbidden to engage in marital relations in years of famine, in years of hunger. Says the Toysis, the Toysis asks on this. And the Toysis says, one second. We know, not too long after this, that Yecheved, the daughter of Levi, she was born, quote, Bain between the walls as they entered Egypt. Now, certainly, if she was, she came to, I'm sorry, if she was born as they entered Egypt, that means she was conceived during the years of the famine. Because when did the brothers come? When did they, Yaakov and his sons arrive to Mitzrayim? They arrived towards the end of the second year of the famine. So, if that's the case, she was. And her mother was pregnant with her, and she was in her ninth month, and she gave birth right there as they entered Mitzrayim. So how could you possibly suggest, as Taisvis, according to Rashi, at least it would be suggested, that Levi transgressed? That Levi did something that's forbidden? That's very hard to accept. Likewise, other Mepharshim ask the following. We know that Yitzchak Avinu, if you remember way back when he left Eretz Yisrael proper, and he went to Plishtim, to Avimelech, why did he go? Because there was a famine. And there a whole story back and forth. And then eventually, Avimelech, it says, quote, he saw a Yitzchak, 
that he saw that Rivka, that Yitzchak was behaving with Rivka as a, a husband behaves with a wife. And literally, the way the Chachamim explained it is that he saw suggestively that Yitzchak was Mishamish Mitasei, that Yitzchak was engaging in marital relations. Again, once again, the question is, it was a year of famine. Clearly, as the Torah spells out, how is this possible? That How is it possible, based on what Rashi just explained, that Yitzchak should do such a thing? Now, the Mephoshim, they tried to explain this away with various uh, answers. For example, number one, that it's not an actual prohibition, it's only midas chasidus, as I explained in the introduction. Another suggestion is that if it was before Matan Torah, it wasn't really forbidden, it was just that Yosef um, accepted it on himself, so to speak, voluntarily, and that this is just a, an asmachta, we just rely on this as a source, as a very, very light source in the Torah, but it's not really something that was prohibited prior to Matan Torah. Others suggest that, wait, it depends. If one didn't have children yet, <coughs> excuse me, and one did not fulfill his obligation of pruvu, then this doesn't apply to them, this prohibition. In other words, they're allowed to engage in marriage relations. Others even suggest that if it's the night of mikvah, then you're allowed to engage in marriage relations. Another answer that's given is that there's a difference of where the famine or to whom the famine has taken place. If the famine is happening Yisrael, that means that when Jewish people, Bnei Yisrael, Ashruim, Betzar, are going through a difficult time, then it's forbidden. However, Yitzchak didn't have that prohibition. He was the only Jew alive, right? And it's everybody else, perhaps, in the region that was suffering. But no Jews were suffering. Likewise with Levi. Levi, as far as he knew, all Jews were not suffering because he and his brothers and his father, meaning the entire family of Yaakov, they had a, a, a plentiful amount of food. It's just when they went to buy food, it was just not to show off, as Yaakov told them. So he had no reason to be concerned. Now, Yosef, on the other hand, this is what the Mephariah explains, did have reason to be concerned because he had no way of knowing that Yaakov and his sons are in possession of all that wheat and all the food that they had available to them. And therefore, as far as he was concerned, perhaps they were in a tsar, perhaps they were in a difficult situation, and therefore he was under obligation. However, if any of these explanations should be correct, then we have some serious problem. Rise and Rashi address it in any way. He doesn't even hint it in any way. In no way does he suggest anything along these lines. Now, we can't say that Rashi relies on the fact in other words, he doesn't ask the question about Levi. He doesn't ask the question about Yitzchak. He doesn't ask anything. And we can't suggest that, oh, Rashi is relying on us, that maybe we would understand on our own any of those given answers. Says that that's impossible, number one. We know that there are various questions, a plethora of questions on, on all those answers. And number two, the fact that Rashi doesn't give any hint whatsoever suggests that Rashi discounts it at all, the question and the answer. And moreover, and here's point number three, we know that Rashi wrote his pirush for a ben chamesh mikra, that even the quote, the beginner child, the ben chamesh mikra, the Mishnah says that a child at five years old begins to study Torah, even he should be able to easily and clearly understand everything. So if there was... If it wasn't so obvious, why didn't Rashi address it? 
And therefore, we have to conclude, we have to draw the conclusion from Rashi that, number one, this is an actual prohibition according to Pshutay Shemikra. According to it, Rashi sees it, this was an actual prohibition. And that's why Rashi uses the term, Mikan She'asur, that it's forbidden. That's number one. Number two, that the that the Easter, the prohibition is across the board. Even to people who already have children or don't have children, regardless of their uh, individual status of childbearing, they are under this obligation according to Rashi. And number three, that you can also draw the conclusion that this doesn't have any particular connection to Jews in general. But the fact to the not to the, not to who's suffering, but the fact that it's a time of suffering. Rashi uses the term Shnei Re'avain, years of famine, meaning that it's a time, it's an era of tsar, it's an ever era of re'avin, of famine, an era that the world is in a challenging time, as we'll soon understand. However, before we do so, the Rebbe asks another question, something, another, something somewhat problematic that we can ask in Rashi. Rashi says, Mikan, from here, from here we can learn. That means this is the source. This is the primary, perhaps the exclusive source for this idea, for this concept, for this prohibition. In other words, Rashi is negating any other sources. And in fact, there is another source, perhaps. And that is, the Gemara says, if you recall the story with Noyach, when Noyach entered the Teva, Hashem clearly instructs that the men enter alone and the women enter alone. And over there, Rashi himself addresses it. And Rashi says that because the world was Sharui Bitsar, because the world was in a time of calamity, a time of challenge, Therefore, it was forbidden during that entire year of the Mabal, it was forbidden for, to engage in marital relationships. In marital, in marital relations. And therefore, Rashi obviously is negating that and says, no, I disagree with the Gemara over here, at least according to Pshut Shemikra, that is not the source for what we're talking about here. The reason why it's prohibited to engage in marital relations during a time of famine. But the question is, why? Why is it? Why is Rashi so adamant that this is the only source and not anywhere else? Why not? Why not learn it from the story of Noyach? Says the Rebbe, the answer is as follows. Rashi could not learn it from the story of Noyach because over there, the way Rashi describes it there, if you look into Rashi, Ha'olom shoroi bitzar, the world was engaged in a calamity in a difficult situation, meaning the world in general not even particularly any of the creatures. Because remember, there were almost no creatures left. No humans, no animals, nothing. Everything was wiped out. It's the world, the world itself, the world in its generality, that was in a tsar, in a time, in a difficult situation. And therefore, from there, you cannot bring proof to a time when there's famine. Because during a time of famine, it's not, quote, the whole world, the oilam das shara bitzar, because you always have a situation where maybe the, the mass uh, and the majority of the masses, the majority of, and, and, and the multitude of the multitudes have an issue that they are lacking their nutrition, that they are lacking food. There is a oven. There is a famine. However, you always have a certain segment of the population that does have access to food, whether it's because they're rich or they have just 
they don't, they're not suffering as much from the famine. So this would not serve as a proper source. This, meaning the story of Noyach, as a proper source, when the entire world, including Noyach and everyone that was in the Teva, was under the same Tsar equally. And therefore Rashi learns it specifically, he derives it specifically from our story, the story of Yosef. Now we'll take a closer look at the expressions of Rashi and we'll better understand, we'll have a better appreciation why this is the better source. We understood why that's not a good source, but why is this such a good source? What is so good about this source? So, so and we'll, we'll appreciate why he learns it from here and not from, you know, from Yitzhak. You see, Rashi writes the words, Beterem tovay shnei harav. I'm, I'm sorry, that mikansha asr la'adam harav. In years of famine. Notice, in the Pasuk, what does it say? That Yosef had his children, Beterem tovay shnas harav. The year of, singular. Rashi, however, emphasizes plural, shnei harav. There's a big difference here. Not just in quantity, but so to speak in quality, in the essence of the matter. You see, when there is only a famine, when there's a famine only one year, that perhaps can be dismissed to a certain extent. That's like, no, okay, this is an incident, or perhaps even somewhat of a coincidence because because of certain factors, that perhaps this year was not a very good year. It was not a blessed year. And therefore, that is not cause, that is not reason to create a situation in which across the board, people should now stop to engage in normal activity. People should start to, so to speak, mourn even in their private life. However, when there is shnei ra'av, years, plural, of famine, this is already no longer a coincidence. This is not no longer just an isolated incident. This already is evidence of the fact that something prolonged is happening and it's coming from Hashem. There's something going on over here. And this is the reason why when there are shneira of, when there are years of famine, in other words, it becomes like a pattern. It becomes like a chazaka. It becomes an established fact that there's something terrible going on here. That becomes cause that becomes reason that even those that are not suffering directly from the Rav, someone like Yosef, who certainly was not suffering from the famine, he had an abundance and he had full access to it, but even someone like him has to now refrain from marital relations. Why? Because this shows that there's something wrong going on in the world, something up there that is directing the world now, not in the direction of, quote, Yeshuvah Yishel Olam, the normal order of the world's existence, but rather in an opposite direction, which tells us that therefore you're not allowed to engage in marriage relations, which promotes the normal order of world's existence. And therefore, you have to refrain. Now, since the whole premise, as we just explained, is that the prohibition of engaging in marriage relations is when you have Shnei Ra'av, when you have an established Chazaka, almost like an established fact, the pattern, that this is what's going on, and therefore that makes it strong enough, a reason, a cause, to negate the mitzvah of pruvu. Remember, the mitzvah of pruvu is the first mitzvah to mankind. That makes it strong enough. In other words, when you have an established chazaka, that's when you have um, not only the right, but the obligation to override the mitzvah. 
that tells us that anything less than that, meaning anything less than this established chazaka, that it's a pattern, it's a situation of ra'av, then you're not allowed to, you're forbidden to override this mitzvah, you're forbidden to uh, um, negate this mitzvah of fruurvu. Especially because it's only a suffering of only a few. And therefore now we'll understand. Yitz by Yitzchak, it was only one year. By Yitzchak, it was only one year. So this wasn't enough cause for him to negate such a great mitzvah. Now by Levi, even though it was more than a year, but it was only in the beginning of the second year. So he didn't know yet that it's going to continue into a full second year and therefore become established as somewhat as a chazak, as a fact. However, Yosef, Yosef did know. Yosef already knew in advance. And he knew this clearly, with certainty, that there are going to be, quote, years, plural, of famine. And therefore, for him, it was forbidden. And that's why from here is the source. This is the primary source, according to Rashi, that when there are years of famine, you're not allowed to engage in marriage relations. Now, of course, you can still ask the question, wait, why are we saying that Levi didn't know that this was an established problem, that there was a chazaka here of famine? Didn't Levi also hear, as well as his brothers and everyone, about this, this amazing prodigy, about this young slave turned king who gave this interpretation of a dream? Why wasn't that enough for him to know, just like Yosef knew, that, this, that, that the famine is going to last, it's going to be prolonged for many years, and therefore he should have already in advance um, um, and not engaged in marriage relations, and then Yecheved wouldn't have been born. The answer is, it's very obvious. Levi would, could not rely on some hearsay of some prodigy, of some youth, of some slave that stood up, became a king, he gave interpretation. He doesn't know. Maybe this is true, maybe this is not true. How do we know? In other words, there's no established fact to go with. There's no certainty to be able to count on, to use that as enough power to override a mitzvah, which is an established mitzvah to mankind, which Hashem says, Pruvu. However, Yosef himself did know. Okay, he did know what it is. Okay, now by the way, also considering something which Rashi himself says in relations to Yosef's dreams, that ain chaloim beloid varim betelim. There are never dreams without any empty and unfulfilled uh, uh, details in the dream. In other words, it's possible that even though they saw that the world experienced the seven years of abundance, but they didn't still have, they still would not have had the certainty that the years of famine are coming. But Yosef did know. According to this explanation, we could also now appreciate and understand even more the emphasis of the Pasuk. Notice that the Pasuk does not say that Yosef conceived his children before the years of famine came, but rather it says that the children were born to Yosef before the famine came. That means Yosef planned it out in such a manner, not only that they were conceived before, that they were already born, they already were alive before the years of famine kicked in. Why? Because since Yosef knew clearly and absolutely, with certainty, that there are going to be years of famine. So he did whatever is in his power. He did everything possible. He, he orchestrated everything in such a manner 
But not only the conception should be before the famine, but also the birth. Why? Because in a time, as we said before, in a time when there's famine, in, for a prolonged time, which is an indicator of the fact that Hashem is disrupting the normal order of the establishment of the world, the Yeshuvah Yishelelam, then it's not a time that you should, so to speak, interfere with that and, so to speak, bring new life, which is the greatest symbol of Yeshuvah Yishelelam. So since Yosef, typically no one has any advanced knowledge, but in this case Yosef was privy to that, and he had clear and advanced knowledge of exactly what's going to be, he did everything possible that also the birth should be in advance.